You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at The Athletic Wisconsin. Joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of Brew.com, Frank Madden. Frank, how you doing, buddy? Man, uh, we've got vacation coming up this week. I'm supposed to fly on Tuesday morning to uh, go on vacation as well. Um, so it's uh, I, I don't know how much we're going to be podcasting much this week, but it, it's going to be for good reason. <laughs> August is here in the NBA calendar, and I think we're treating it like it, but we, we still are, have the reckoning of trying to get through our mailbag that will never end. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's a really tough spot because both of us are trying to take vacations. And um, yeah, uh, this, this is weird. Like, I've never really been in a spot, uh, now that I'm at The Athletic, like when I was at ESPN Milwaukee, it would just go, it was like Bucks straight into Brewers, and then I would be there for the Brewers, and then Brewers would go straight into the Bucks, and then I wouldn't really, like, have time off, and... August is definitely my time off, so I will be uh, out and about doing some doing some fun stuff. Uh, I would guess in the middle of August you'll have a couple podcasts with me and our good friend Kane Pittman uh, because I'll be in Australia. So we'll do we'll do some of that as well. Um, but yeah, it's it's weird to like actually have time off and actually have vacations so uh both of us are going to take full advantage of it and we're going to have some fun with it and that'll be great um but in the meantime by the way eric, to... I, I, I will say eric i consider talking to you a vacation so um that's, that's not oh a wow trip. um but uh, but anyway yeah you can take a vacation <laughs> from me. that's fine <laughs> oh that's so sweet of you you know people are going to be like um, you know people are going to be like well you need a vacation from talking about basketball you know and it's like yeah I, no, I whatever like that I don't really have to, I don't do the editing or any of the like work that you do on record, doing these podcasts. So it's a lot easier for me to just dial in sure. and talk, whereas you actually have to like edit it, splice in all the stuff and deal with crap. Um, but yeah, you know, sometimes whatever, we just don't feel like podcasting. And so there'll be a little bit more of that here during the dead period. But um, so far we need to, first we need to get to this mailbag. No, I've like, I've had that conversation with people before and I, like, I'm not, I'm very aware of how lucky I am. Like, I'm not trying to say that I'm not at all. Like, I understand that my life is literally talking and writing about basketball. And that's, uh, I mean, it's, it's a lucky life for me to live. Um, but, you know, I I would say that an NBA season is a grind. Uh, and I'm, I'm happy that in August there's not a whole lot going on. So uh, we'll get through that, but we'll also get through this mailbag. And we will keep it moving. Uh, our first question of, I think, part five of this mailbag. I'm not 100% sure what part we're on, but I think it's part five. Um, comes from Jared Dudley Stan on Twitter. That's at EWINT, W-I-N-T, 28 on Twitter. Assuming no injuries and no overtime, how many minutes out of the 
3,936 minutes of the season will Lopez be on the floor. I'm assuming that's 48 times 82. Um, I, I didn't actually do the math, but that's my assumption uh, for it is. Uh, you know how long uh, a Lopez will be on the floor. So I guess I'll, I'll throw it to you. I know I did like my um, I did my mock rotation at the athletic uh, a week back and trying to figure out you know exactly how this might work out. Um, but I'm I'm curious for you how how often you think those two will be on the floor. Played 81 games. I mean that, that was probably the most important that he just continues to play a large number of games and. Five straight years now, he's played 72-plus games, which is a big deal for a guy that, you know, as you mentioned, had um, cool. in his fourth and sixth years, he played five games and 17 games, respectively. And so he had that injury, you know, injury-prone knock with those feet injuries that people were worried about. But other than that, I mean, he played 82 games each of his first three seasons. And then other than that, has played 72-plus in all but those two seasons. So, you know, again, you just knock on wood wherever you can find it with Brooke, given the money that the Bucks have committed. Um, but, you know, let's say, I don't know, 75 games next year, you know, I'll happily take that, right? 75 games from Brooke, you say, um, you know, maybe 28 minutes per game times times 75. Um, that gets you to, from Brooke 2,100 minutes. And then I think the question with Rolo is obviously like, you know, he's, he's the bigger question, right? Um, you know, Brooke, you'd assume that 28 to 30 minute range that he was last year, you assume something similar. Um, who knows? Maybe they try to ramp him down a, a little bit. Uh, maybe they try to manage his minutes more uh, in part because maybe they feel like they can use Rolo uh, to give Brooke maybe a bit more of a, a blow at times. And especially because, you know, Brooke was the only real center they had for long stretches last season. So, um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, obviously I, I would say on like any given night, um, I would say Brooks probably 28 to 30 and, and Robin's probably like soaking up most of the rest of the minutes, 15 to 20. Um, but as far as like over the course of a full season, um, I don't know. I mean, what do you think Robin Lopez getting 18 minutes a game is reasonable? I mean, there's going to be blowouts. There's going to be, you know, periods where the bucks maybe go, a little, you know, last year he averaged 22 minutes, minutes he had averaged since uh, the 11, 12 season. Um, so he's been, you know, in that like 26 to 32 minute range throughout that entire period. So I don't know, maybe 18 minutes a game for, for Robin. And maybe you, know, you say another 75 games from Robin. Um, but I, I don't know, something in that range. I mean, that would be 3,450 minutes. Um, so I don't know. I, I'd say, I will say this. I think, you know, games played will be probably the most important, uh, determiner of this number, because I think certainly, um, when, when they're both healthy, they're probably going to be playing, I want to say combined 48 minutes a night. Um, Cause I don't think they're going to overlap really much ever. Um, and there'll probably be some scenarios where they maybe go smaller with, you know, we saw Ursan and, and DJ play with Giannis uh, in kind of two, two, four man lineups a lot last year. Uh, so I don't know, maybe something on something on that or 3,500 minutes, 3,600 minutes, something like that, which is still a ton of time. But again, as long as those guys are healthy, you know, I'm fine with the Bucks trying some different stuff and not always going with traditional big men. Um, but again, with, you know, so much of this is health, which is, you know, the most important thing. Yeah, I know when I like kind of did my rotation exercise, it was just like, all right, well, I think there's probably three to five minutes a night where Bud is, um, I don't know if creative is the right word, but in some ways a little bit more creative, let's say, where it'll be Ursan, uh, 
in Giannis or you know, like some combination that it isn't one of the Lopez brothers. So I don't know that every night I'm thinking like, all right, yeah, you can pencil them in for 48 total minutes. I think probably 45 or so every night you can pencil them in for maybe two in each direction, maybe up to 43, maybe uh, or down to 43 and up to 47. Like maybe that would be kind of the spot. Um, so for me, it's, I think it'll just be interesting, especially like the way that John Horst talked about it in the conversation I had with him um, in that Q&A that ended up going up at the, at, at the Athletic. He, he had said, you know, it's going to be really big for us that we can play the Lopez brothers 48 minutes every night. Like we can have that defensive stalwart in the middle of the floor and be able to play the defense the way that we want to play defense every single night and every single minute of every single night. So that to me kind of single, like signaled the idea that, yeah, I ideally these two will kind of, one of them will be on the floor at all times. And I, I think it's probably a little bit unrealistic, um, but I think largely that is the goal that, you know, you have Brooke out there and then when Brooke isn't out there, you have Robin out there and you try to get through this and you try to, you know, play both of them as much as possible so that you can have the center that protects the rim, helps on the glass, uh, that just is, is that guy. And obviously I wrote about the Lopez brother effect earlier this year where um, when either of them is on the floor, they're going to be, their team is a better defensive rebounding team. Like that will uh, I would guess continue this season when those guys are on the floor. Uh, so you'll be good defensive rebounding. You hopefully they can both protect the rim. Both of the hopefully they can both be big bodies that uh, get in the way of anyone trying to get to the rim. And I, I would probably agree with you that like it's it's likely not going to be all forty eight every night because that's just not how this works. But I do also think it is a priority for. I mean, John Horst kind of talked about it in that way. I don't know that Bud would talk about it in that same way, that Bud would say, hey, this is this is a priority. But I, I do think when, when it gets down to it, like Bud would probably prefer that you have someone at center that can really defend, that can really be a part of what you're doing on the defensive glass, that can just kind of be steady in many ways. So uh, I don't know if it's going to be uh, the full 48 every night. And obviously we've seen the Bucks have a bunch of blowouts in the last year. Um, so that's going to affect it. But also um, even in games where they're in it, I think the, the interesting kind of counter to all of that is, is Urson where he's in there or DJ Wilson when he's in there. Like, I think you can kind of create some interesting looks if you don't have, one of the Lopez brothers in there. And I think Bud will, will likely experiment with that throughout the season. And, and I don't know when that'll be. I don't know if that's the second quarter thing, a third quarter thing, a fourth quarter thing, whatever it may be. Maybe it's a closing thing. Maybe it's uh, something early in the game. I don't, I don't know when that'll be, but I do think he will experiment with that. So that would be kind of my larger kind of read on how the Lopez brothers affect this rotation. Anything else you have there? Nope. Let's keep it going. All right. We will go to John Grable who asks on Twitter uh, at John Grable. 
is there a starting caliber two on the roster or more a collection of players better suited to come off the bench at that position who will just have to do it by committee? If the latter, do they have the assets to add a true starting two before the playoffs? Another question, will they need to? Um, I, I, I'll toss it to you, Frank. What, what do you think there? I mean, they don't have a, but I, I would argue they don't have a true starting caliber two uh, on the roster right now. I mean, I, you know, I think you just think about Wes Matthews if he is the presumptive favorite to start at the two. Um, I mean, he's just not, he's not up to, I think, the caliber of, you know, he's, you, you just think about the best shooting guards in the league or even just a lot of, you know, very good teams and, and what you'd expect them to have at the two, right? I mean, even the Raptors last year didn't have, you know, a Clay Thompson star type player at the shooting guard spot. But Danny Green, I would say, is definitely a better player than than what Wes Matthews will be this year. Kind of similar ideas, right? Guys who, you know, really just spot up shooters and defenders. But Danny Green's a much better defender than Wes Matthews is at this point. So um, so I think that's absolutely a weakness. I think, you know, we talked about that in some of the earlier mailbag episodes. Uh, so I think it's an obvious question. Yeah, I mean, you know, is there a, a move, uh, you know, like a package up deal where you maybe take some of the depth the Bucks have and try to combine that into something that um, is some something closer to to a starting caliber shooting guard? Uh, I don't I don't know. You know, I think that's probably one of the, the definite questions, though, that you could see kind of coming into, um, you know, the trade deadline. Um, but again, I think I think we'll just kind of have to see kind of, you know, what 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 happens there. I mean, there are a lot of like. I would say like better players on like expiring deals, um, you know, like a, a, a Kent Bazemore, I think is better than, you know, anybody the Bucks have, I would say. Um, not great though. I mean, ironically, the Bucks tried to sign him a few years ago. Uh, or I think Tyler John, I want to say Tyler Johnson is an expiring contract as well. I don't think he's been bought out. Um, but those guys make tons and tons of money. They're totally overpaid. So it's kind of hard because I think a lot of guys who you might consider an upgrade would also be guys that would be hard to trade for, for salary matching purposes, just because they're, they are really overpaid. So um, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure if we kind of really did our research, we could probably find some guys that, that maybe would be a little better players than Weth Matthews. But then again, like, you know, what are you having to give up to get there? And, uh, and again, I, I'm curious, right? Like, you know, but, but I think with the different pieces the Bucks have, like a Sterling Brown, you know, are you willing to give up a, a younger player like Sterling Brown? Where's he going to be in the rotation? Um, you know, you have Ursan, who's kind of that like $8 million expiring salary. Maybe if you wanted to acquire a guy who's being paid a little bit more, if you had a trade exception, that would have been very handy in these types of discussions. But obviously, the Bucks were not able to make that happen. So um, I think it's definitely something to watch. I think if you're talking about any position on the roster, I think shooting guard is the obvious one where you know that kind of consolidation move would make sense. Yeah, I've been obviously I wrote something about it at the Athletic uh, earlier, or I, I guess at the end of last week about you know how the Bucks may try to leverage. Uh, Wesley Matthews and Kyle Korver and their willing three-point triggers um, to try to create a, an offense that makes a little bit more sense around them. And, you know, kind of what I mean there is obviously Malcolm Brogdon has a pretty slow uh, three-point release. He's uh, always kind of, uh, I don't want to say seemed worried or anything, but like he he just isn't a, a guy that's going to chuck up a bunch of threes. Like he's going to try to do other things. And um, the fact that he's so talented means that he can do some of those other things. So I do feel like yeah, obviously the, the bucks are going to go in a different direction where Kyle Corbett's going to be jacking up a bunch of threes. Wesley Matthews going to be jacking up a bunch of threes. Like there's not going to be 
any hesitation there. So I do think it's it's kind of interesting to think about sort of how the Bucks might try to handle all of that and how they might try to leverage that. Like I do think there's there's at least some opportunity uh, where they can maybe like it's not going to be neither of those guys are as good as Malcolm Brogdon. And I think that's very clear. Um, but you know, maybe if you leverage them, right, maybe if they put up a bunch of threes, uh, you can get yourself into a position where maybe you're shooting as many threes as the Houston Rockets. And then I think also, uh, you get to a spot where those guys are real weapons and people are really paying attention to both of the, both of those guys as Giannis is, is trying to attack the rim. So I think there is something there. Um, and, you know, I think if you leverage it right, maybe there's a starting caliber two in all of that. But also, like, I think it's pretty obvious that neither of those guys are as good as Malcolm Brogdon. Like, that, that's it, it, that's just going to be true. And, like, that's – I don't know if it much matters what those two guys do, how well you leverage them. Like, they're just not going to be as talented as Malcolm Brogdon. And that's going to have to be something that – the Bucks live with until they decide not to live with it. And maybe they do have some assets. Like if you, if you package some things together, I think if you know, you do a, like a two or three for one, maybe there is a package out there with some of the young guys that the Bucks have that you could really actually get something out of that. Um, and, and really try to find that. And obviously the, that's something that we've talked about in the first couple of parts of this mailbag that, you know, maybe there's a, stack them all together and make a trade kind of move to be made for the bucks. But also, you know, maybe there's not, I I don't know if those guys have enough cachet. Like if you have bucks guys, 10 through 15 on the roster, uh, maybe three of them doesn't mean a whole lot to someone. So I, I think that'll, that'll be really interesting to watch. And if we're talking about how the bucks possibly get better, I think that's the, the place to look. But also, at the same time, we don't know that it's actually attractive to other teams. We don't know that other teams are thinking, yeah, like, let's get three role-type players to, you know, give up something that might be a little bit more valuable than that. So I I think that'll be a really interesting watch. Anything else there? You want to go into the next question? Yeah, well, I mean, I think um, of uh, like more like mid-priced guys who are expiring and thus maybe more gettable. Um, I think two guys that jump out would be, I think, Bogdan Bogdanovich from the Kings. Um, I've, you know, I've always liked him. Um, I think I've always assumed that. I mean, you know, he's he's Serbian. Vladi's Serbian. It just felt like well, Vladi's not going to trade away like the second best Serbian basketball player <laughs> in the NBA, um, but they're in such a weird spot. And Zach Lowe and Kevin Arnovitz were talking about it um, a couple weeks ago that like you just kind of look at all the money that they've committed to all these dudes. I mean, like Harrison Barnes getting that massive money to play small forward, I guess. Um, and you know they've got Buddy Heald, who is probably going to get paid a ton of money by them. Um, it doesn't necessarily seem like Bogdanovich is a guy that has, you know, a big salary slot coming next year when he hits restricted free agency. And so he makes about $8 million this year. 
Um, he's going to be a restricted free agent. So you have that kind of control heading into next summer, which would obviously be appealing for the Bucks, right? Like, you know, Eric Gordon, I think is another really interesting guy. He's an expiring 13 million. But again, you just assume unless the wheels come off in Houston, like they're probably going to want to keep Eric Gordon because he's really important to what they do and plays the way that they want to play. And he's been, you know, a guy that I think has, you know, played really well, obviously has played, you know, has bounced back from all the injuries he had in New Orleans and played really well for the Rockets the last couple of years. And, you know, his let it fly mantra, I think, works great in Houston and I would love to see it in Milwaukee as well, provided he could stay healthy. Um, but you know, Gordon's expiring 13, he's going to be unrestricted free agent. He's older. Um, so that's more inherently like a risk, right? That, you know, if you trade for him, then like, what are you going to do? Or, you know, can you, are you going to offer him a ton of money to try to keep him with his bird rights or what do you do? Um, versus Bogdanovich, depending on kind of how the Bucks salary stuff sacks up next summer. Um, he's a guy that maybe you could keep at a more reasonable count contract number and again, I think he would definitely be additive to kind of what the Bucks are doing. And again, he's kind of that like more combo type guy, um, which again, like he's not like a driver in the same way Malcolm is, but he's definitely, I'd say a shot maker and a guy who, you know, isn't afraid of the moment, I would say. And also, I, have to, I don't know if you remember this, Bogdanovich ended up guarding Giannis a, like way more than you would have ever expected him to when they went small in games, in the two games last year against the Kings. And he just fouled the shit out of Giannis all the time. <laughs> and I, I just respected it. He was just like, you know what? I got I'm nothing like, for not him. backing down. I got I'm like six six. I'm a little Serbian dude. <laughs> I'm going against this like, you know, superhero. Uh, I'm just gonna foul the hell out of him in the post and then I'm gonna like act surprised when they ever call anything on me. But I he didn't back down from him. I respected it. He's got some moxie, so I, I Bogdan Bogdanovich would maybe be my um, ideal sort of maybe somewhat gettable target. And again, if you're putting that Pacers first round pick and play, you know, I absolutely think like from a value perspective, like, yeah, could you get, you know, a Bogdanovich type guy if the Kings feel like they're not necessarily going to be able to keep him if, you know, maybe it means having to pay him, I don't know, 12 to $15 million a year next summer or something like that. I mean, for the Bucks, you have to think, does that make sense for us? Um, but I think given, you know, again, the talent level the Bucks have and kind of where he is and kind of his mid mid to late twenties, um, he actually could fit in reasonably well with kind of the way the Bucks are, are structured. So anyway, I think we've killed that question. No, we definitely have. I think it, it's, it's, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it is interesting because like, I think it's the, it's the clearest spot where this Bucks team can really improve. Right, like it's. I think it's going to be whether or not it it's actually something that can happen. I think it's a, a spot where we're going to talk about this throughout the entire year. Like how much better can they get at the two? And I mean, maybe Wesley Matthews at, is able to find his shot. He's able to you know really play off Giannis and really become like a strong asset for the Bucks, but also, you know, maybe he doesn't. And we have this conversation throughout the entire year. So uh, I think, I think it, it is right to think that that is really a spot where we could end up having a lot of conversation about how the number two or how the two in the Bucks offense works and, and kind of how uh, all of that will go down. But we can move on to a different question. We'll move on to a question from strand strand one zero five two on Twitter. Before free agency, Zach Harper wrote that he believed Bucks ownership would go to the luxury tax to keep the team together, but wouldn't do it recklessly. Is the thought around the team that they viewed Brogdon's deal as reckless? Frank, what do you think there? Well, I guess that would be that would be the probably the charitable narrative. Um, 
And I mean, there is something to it, right? I mean, you just look at the number that Malcolm got in free agency. Obviously, you put that on the Bucks, you know, cap sheet the next few years. I mean, you're you're pretty much begging to be in the tax from here on out, and and that's obviously you know makes a lot of things more challenging. That said, um, you know, again, we've kind of said all all summer and spring, you know, the the effort, let's win a championship type mantra. If you want to maximize the talent on this roster you match it. And again, if going for it is reckless, then <laughs> that's probably the best way you can be pretty reckless by keeping, you know, a 20, what, six year old, um, player, uh, uh, who obviously was, was a really, really good player for you, um, moving forward. So, um, again, like we're, we're kind of, you know, again, we're kind of getting into the spin zone of, of, you know, how do we want to kind of view this from a buck's perspective? I would say getting obviously those picks, you know, blunts, obviously uh, the issue somewhat, you know, like, like we were just talking about, I mean, if you can use one of those picks to turn around and trade for like a Bogdanovich type guy, well, then actually, I think that's a really probably smart piece of business there. If you're basically trading Brogdon for a guy in a similar age range, who maybe a different type of player, but can fill a similar role where he's kind of a combo guard, can bring the ball up, can initiate a little bit, can make shots. Um, and you get basically one more year avoiding the tax. And then, you know, probably you're going to get you could get Bogdanovich for less than obviously what the, the Pacers paid Brogdon. So I think there are, you know, definitely there are sort of ways this could go where it ends up, you know, working out fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, like this is all, all that requires you to make a leap of faith that you're going to get something and then you're going to be able to move that for something else. And then everything, you know, yada, 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 uh, championship right and it's hard to yada yada <laughs> stuff that that gets you to a championship so um so anyway so i think it's a uh so i, I think it, again like obviously the bucks sorry i have a smoke my 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 uh family were cooking in here i have a smoke smoke alarm going off um so anyway i would say it's a uh it's definitely a challenge but um you know again it's it's all sort of i guess what you know how you want to spin it yeah i think it's it's really interesting to think about because obviously the franchise would tell you that you know it was that a brogdon deal would be reckless that a four-year 85 million dollar deal would be reckless for the franchise and and that would be the way that and again they they might not use those words but uh, essentially what they try to get across is that you know that's just too much guaranteed money that's too many years um that's too much for a guy that you know we can't absolutely trust to be healthy we can't absolutely trust to to be a, a strong contributor like all of that i, I think i don't want to say is fair but uh, i think it's intellectually somewhat honest <laughs> um if if that makes any sense like it's it's probably not uh the god's honest truth but it it is something that you'd have to at least think about you would have to think about um how malcolm brockman fits in and how you know the the cap kind of plays into that and what the luxury tax does and all of that so like I, i'm not trying to take away from the the fact that it would play into it but also when you look at it you know, like they they made the decision, and I've written as much. I don't know how many times I've written about the Bucks cap uh, this summer. Like they chose not to do it. it. It wasn't something that they had to do. They didn't have to go out of their way to say, "Hey, we're not going to pay the tax. Hey, we're not going to go out and pay Malcolm Brogdon." They decided not to. They could have. They could have done it. 
they could have brought Malcolm Brogdon back and then maybe they lose a guy like George Hill or something like that. Um, but they could have gone out of their way. They could have signed Malcolm Brogdon and they could have said, this is how it's going to be. And they didn't do that. So I, I, I just think this, this off season is going to end up being really interesting. Literally no matter what happens this season, like if, if the Bucks are able to go to the NBA finals and everything works out, I don't know that I don't know that anyone will say like, oh, this is this is silly, this is stupid. I can't believe that they let Malcolm Brogdon go because they're gonna be in the NBA Finals. But if they don't get to the NBA Finals, you know, there's there's certainly a possibility that some people are gonna be like, Well, they should have brought Malcolm Brogdon back. That should have that should have been the obvious move that you just pay whatever it is you need to pay. You start paying the luxury tax and is that going to mess you up on the repeater? Yeah, probably. But you, you start doing it now, and, and that's totally fine. You get yourself to a spot where uh, you have a great team, and, and you can do that. And I, I think both of those things could happen. Both of those hypotheticals ha- could happen. But in the end, I mean, the thought, uh, as Strand asked this question, is the thought around the team that they viewed Brogdon's deal as reckless, like, if the organization thought that, I mean, I think ultimately it's a mistake. Like reckless is, reckless is a strong word. <laughs> that it's, like, is, it's like you're if, the, if you were the magic and paid the luxury tax, that would be reckless. Um, yes. You know, like if you're if you're yes. seven a seven seed paying the tax, that's just kind of dumb. Um, but if you're doing it to win a championship and you actually have a legitimate chance, I think it's different. And actually, can I just can I just pull this with one other question that we had from uh, Douglas Name? Uh, Got to be careful with those names, so um, uh, beware. But uh, Douglas asks, how many of the last 10, let's say, NBA champions did not pay the luxury tax? And what are the odds of the Bucks winning it if the ownership if ownership is unwilling to pay it? I, I, so I, I went and looked it up. Um, the tax has been around since the 0203 season. Uh, I believe the Bucks were actually the first team that paid paid the tax i want to say um or, or they okay. did in the first year uh do the mic when they i think when they matched michael red's offer sheet from dallas um but uh and actually there were a bunch of teams that first year that paid it but uh of the teams uh, that have won the championship since then so kind of going back chronologically uh the 16 17 warriors did not pay the tax the 14 15 warriors did not pay the tax 13 14 spurs and then you have to go all the way back to the 0506 heat before that to find another team that did not pay uh, the tax that uh, that won the championship. I think 0405 there uh, there wasn't a luxury tax that year. Um, so uh, so that was a bit of an asterisk season. But um, but yeah. So most teams that have won championships have paid the tax. There have definitely been a few in the last um, decade that have not. Uh, ironically, two of the Warriors three title teams did not pay the tax. And again, that first Kevin Durant year, ironically, because they had all that cap space and it was the kind of end of the cheap. Steph Curry deal and the kind of things just sort of lined up in the cap spike. So that was a little bit of a, as you say, a little bit of an asterisk as well. Um, but you know, it has happened. Um, but typically again, once you start having to pay guys their big contracts, then obviously uh, it becomes much, much harder. And I think, you know, if you're the bucks and you are just flat out unwilling to pay the tax period, um, then your window, I think becomes much narrower because you're just, you know, you're going to have to make oxygen choices. Um and and especially once that you know 
uh, hopefully that Giannis Supermax kicks in in the 21-22 season. Um, it's just going to be very hard to have any depth on this team if you aren't willing to go over the tax. So again, the repeater tax is three out of four years. So, um, you know, again, there's value, you know, deferring it this year. I imagine they will, they have a chance not to pay it next year, depending on kind of how things go. Um, so I think it's going to be another interesting litmus test next year. Um, but certainly once you get into like 21, 22, 23, um, you know, you're going to be paying Giannis and Chris um, 80 plus million a year combined. Uh, again, the tax goes up a lot in those years. It's over 150 million starting in the 20, uh, 20, uh, the, sorry, the, um, the 21, 22 season. But uh, but again, like if you want to keep a talented team around them to win a championship, you're probably going to be very close to, to the tax, if not over it. So um, again, I, I think a lot of owners, like every, I think every owner pretty much will say they'll pay the tax if, if, if they need to. Um, but the question is like when it's gut check time and, you know, can they actually bite the bullet and do it or, or will they not? And obviously so far the Bucks ownership group has not done it and we'll we'll kind of see what happens and whether whether they regret that yeah i mean it's it's a good question from uh from my brother um and you know like i think man like it's it's just really tough to to think about going into the season and the tough part is i don't want to say like every team should just you know you know every team should just go to luxury tax like that's just a thing that you should do um because not every team should do that. Like that's, that's not how it goes. But if you are a contender, if you are in a spot where your team can actually win a championship, like, yeah, I think you, you do need to have a good long talk about going into the luxury tax and being willing to pay what you need to pay to have a great team. And uh, that's going to linger over this entire book season. Like th- there's just no way that it won't like the idea behind not paying Malcolm Brogdon behind not bringing him back and instead signing and training him like that will sit over the top of this buck season. And could it work out that the bucks are just fine without Malcolm Brogdon? Of course, like that, that could definitely happen, but could it also happen that they're not going to be able to handle that, that they're not going to be uh, as good as they were last year. And yeah, like that's definitely a possibility. So, um, you know, I, I think it's a really interesting question. I think it's something that um, I'm not sure if every single conversation about this buck season is going to come down to the luxury tax. Like uh, I, I don't think every single night as we're doing this podcast, as we're talking about the bucks game, we're going to be like, Oh, well, you know, Bucks didn't pay the luxury pat luxury tax. That's why Sterling Brown shot two for eight tonight, and the Bucks lost the game. Like we're not gonna we're not gonna talk like that, but it's gonna be impossible for this season not to be thought of in some way as you know the first season where they had the chance to pay the luxury tax and they decided not to. So uh, I I think that makes for a really interesting season and in a spot where you know we really have to think about how all of this could work and, you know, what any of this means. So uh, that is going to sit around and it's going to linger. And that's going to be at least some question, maybe not the only question that we ask, but certainly some question that we ask uh, throughout this season. With that being said, I think that's going to be it for us for tonight. Uh, Frank is about to go see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. 
Uh, so we can talk some movies in a, a little while. We can talk a little Tarantino uh, on our next podcast. I, I will be on some vacations. Frank will be out as well, but we'll figure it out. We will uh, get together again and chat it up again and get you guys a podcast. So uh, unless Frank has any obli- or any problems with, with that, uh, that's going to be it for us for today. So for Frank Men, I'm Eric Mame. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We will talk to you guys later.